Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. He's one of those weird guys that only seem to exist in baseball. If you want to know what the pitch is, ask Daddy nicely. Today is your NFL birthday. Drafted in the second round. Man, who would have thought it? Little kid that grew up in Indian Village down in Gentilly in New Orleans, baby. You heard? I got like enough money in my pocket for a cheeseburger. And they're like, hey, man, you sign these 500 cards and we're going to send you a check for $10,000. Like, how fast can I sign them? And, you know, my coach always told me potential means that you ain't done it yet, son. Because I understand what it represents, what I represent, and my desire is to be the best representation of what Black women can do in this space. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two... And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Mama, there goes that man. You Ladies and gentlemen, start of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad to be back with you guys and so glad that you are here hanging out with me. And if this is your first time, welcome aboard. We hope to become a part of your podcast menu so you can sample us from time to time or pretty much every time. It'll be worth it. I will make it worth your while. So I'll give you something that will entertain and inform you. So if this is your first time aboard, welcome aboard. If you're back, hey, welcome back. Welcome back, family. Glad you are here. Glad that you have joined us yet again. Want to remind all of you of a few things before we get rolling because we have a great episode this time out. First and foremost, want to remind you that you can go to wadeswordproductions.com and check out past episodes, see some things about me, we, us, the show, some of the things we do, some of the things we are aspiring to do, some things that may be coming up, all of those things. Wadeswordproductions.com. You can go and listen to all the past episodes there. And uh, just peruse and be a part of that and get to know us a little bit better if we're strangers to you still or by now or for the first time you are coming in contact with us. So that's definitely something you want to check out. In addition to that, I have a sports line available to you guys. You can call and leave a message 24 hours a day, 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. You can call with a comment, a question, a request. If there's somebody you want us to talk to, something you want us to talk about, a city, a team, a program, let us know. 832-941-6614, and we'll include uh, your comments. If you want to rant and rave about something in the world of sports or not, (laughs) it's up to you. You can call us 24 hours a day on the sports line, and you may be a part of the We the People segment that we frequently run on the show in addition to that you can check us out on social media on facebook the sports talk with devin wade page and group and of course on twitter at wade's word so all that's going on and all of those ways are fun ways to uh interact with us and the more interactive we are the better this whole experience is for everyone so I'll tell you a little bit more about LaBeer Pay down the line and ways that you can contribute to the podcast. But first, let me tell you what we have coming up. Going to talk to our guy from the special teams unit, Eddie Robinson. Eddie Robinson will be in the building. We'll get his take on a number of things in the world of sports. In addition to that, we're going international. We're talking soccer with Nana Asare. Now, he's immersed in the world of soccer, and he'll tell us all about Super League and the, or the now dispersed but maybe on the horizon in a 
revamped fashion, the Super League. So if you like Premier League soccer, European soccer, if you like football, world football, if you like any of that, it'll be a very, and even if you don't, it's a very interesting conversation. So you definitely want to check that out. We have our headlines. We I may or may not get on my soapbox, but we will definitely have a Lamont Award for the big dummy of the episode. That's towards the end. We'll also hear some new music. Got some music to share with you guys and a word from our sponsor or sponsor. Hmm, keeping you guessing it may be in the works. So all that's coming up. So let's get started with some headlines. In headlines, and of course, these are the stories I really want to talk about. I want to get that information out to you guys or focus on a little bit before we bring in our guest. And, and someone asked me, it's not the first time, what is that sound in the background? Well, that is a, a, a ticker. Now, in the old days, as I date myself, back in my day, newsrooms would have the ticker machines going off uh, with the teletype machines going off with the headlines from around the world, whether it's UPI or AP and, you know, the international press services. And you would get the stories and you rip them off. Anyway, it's, it's an old reference. I understand it's dated. The modern newsroom, if there is such a thing, <laughs> is not is not that. But just when you hear that sound, it just means, okay, yeah, something uh, some new, something newsworthy is about to come out. And that's exactly what we want to get into. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time watching the Astros. And I have to tell you, it's been so refreshing and so much fun to immerse myself yet again. I'm sort of a, a born-again baseball fan, meaning, you know, you're checking the standings, checking guys' batting averages, and, and you know, just doing doing the stuff that re- it requires to be a, a, a diligent baseball fan. The Astros have been paying off in a big way, although I've checked out a lot of other things uh, around the world of baseball. But the Astros win another series against the Los Angeles Angels in their division. And, of course, recently, the Angels released Albert Pujols, a surefire, one of the greatest players in the game. And we got a chance to see him. And, of course, here in Houston, we saw him up close because he played with the Cardinals in the Astros division at the time. When he was with the Cardinals, the Astros were in the National League. And so we saw uh, our fair share of Albert Pujols. But uh, he is looking for work, not officially retired. They sort of sent him out to pasture. I don't know why they just didn't keep him for what they're getting. But they do have some stars. Mike Trout who many say is the best player in all of baseball. And, of course, Shohei Otani, a, a guy that is a throwback to Babe Ruth. And if you, you have to watch this dude. First of all, he's a pitcher, but he plays every day at the DH. And he does both really, really well. He has great power numbers. And the other night, pitched seven innings against the Astros in a pinching duel versus Lance McCullough Jr. And the Astros were able to pull it out once they got to that bullpen. But, boy, you have to – there's some players and some teams you have to check out, and he's on that list. So, Shohei Otani, you have to look out for if you have an opportunity to see him. But last night, the Astros' bats erupt for five home runs. They win that series the eighth consecutive home series versus the Angels that they've won going back a few years. Also, uh, they've won five out of the last six series. 
They had the Yankee series and, uh, you know, the Angels here. And now they have the Texas Rangers coming into town. And it's been a whole lot of fun watching them. And they're doing well despite the fact that they don't have Framber Valdez, a guy that they are going to need to be successful on the mound. Also, Arkady last night left the game with some uh, shoulder uh, soreness. So that's something to look out for. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, who was signed because of some injury issues, is injured as well. So a lot of stuff going on as it pertains to injuries with the Astros. But again, just immersing myself and watching them day in and day out is a whole lot of fun. And we'll be talking more about them. And hopefully you guys will check in on some more baseball. Before I move on from baseball, I have to say, hey, I talked about Shohei Otani, but look, Jordan Alvarez is a beast. Him and Yuli Gurriel, I mean, the Astros, that's our Cuban connection, our our black beans and rice. I sort of referenced on ESPN's broadcast uh, not so long ago, talking about that tandem of uh, Jordan Alvarez and, and Gurriel. Uh, Gurriel last night, again, mass. I mean, he has, what, seven home runs on the season. He's, uh, I think, well, up towards the top in, in uh, slugging percentage in RBI. And so this dude is getting it done. He's rebounding from a, a less than stellar uh, 2019 campaign, but a lot to look at on the uh, the Astros team. And really, look, Carlos Correa has been struggling, but he broke out of that. I think he went three for four last night, so he got going. So check out those Astros. It's definitely worth uh, your time. And just to relax in the evening and catch an Astros game and kind of, you know, you, it's not the intensity of the NFL, but it's a relaxing way to unwind and, and get your sports fix in. So I definitely recommend that. Also, uh, in the NFL, NFL, a couple things in the NFL. The schedules came out. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that. We're still talking about, what is it, May? They won't play until September. So, yeah, I, I, we can chill on that. And, uh, you know, uh, this riveting unveiling of the schedule, it doesn't mean much. Because we knew who these teams were going to play. You just didn't know when they were going to play. And, I mean, we even knew where. We knew who they were going to play and where they were going to play. We just didn't know how the schedule would play out. And for especially down in these parts, it kind of really didn't matter. And then you don't know, there's so many variables, you just don't know. I think the big thing is 17 games. A 17 game season is going to be something to uh, behold. And we'll have to see how that plays into the last few weeks of the NFL season. And, you know, again, one more opportunity to risk major injury. Not that you want to go in thinking about that, but, you know, that's a, that's a thing. The other couple of things in the NFL, Tim Tebow gets signed. And people have lost their damn minds about Tim Tebow getting signed as a tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you look at this and people are trying to create a false equivalence between him and Colin Kaepernick, and it's just it's not the same because, A, I, don't, I doubt he makes the team. B, he played for Urban Meyer, made Urban Meyer millions of dollars by winning the national championship in Florida. This would be like Mac Brown getting a head coach job in the NFL and bringing in Vince Young. Look, Vince made him millions of dollars. And again, I'd say that that would happen, but Urban Meyer is doing this, and Tebow's been active in baseball. And again, they talk about, oh, he's playing a position he's never played before, but tight end is not that difficult. You can catch a football. He's been around football his whole life. He can catch a football. He may not be able to play NFL tight end, and I don't think that he will, 
But if you think about it from this standpoint, you have a guy that knows how Urban Meyer likes to run things. You have a guy that's sort of in the locker room, a positive influence on your team in the locker room, a guy that also can be a liaison between the coaching staff uh, and the team. You don't know. Or at least a thermostat to test the temperature of the team in the locker room. If that's if he even makes the team, I suspect that he'll, he may be on the staff as some sort of special assistant or maybe an assistant coach. I don't see him making it, but I don't think it's a big, big deal. But, of course, a lot of people's hair uh, was on fire talking about this situation. But I think it's much ado about not much. Before we uh, move into our conversation with Eddie Robinson, uh, in the NFL, DK Metcalf, of course, of the Seattle Seahawks, he tried his hand. He thought he was going to go to the Olympics. He thought he was going to make a run at it. And he got out there to run the 100 in a quali- what would have been a qualifier for the Olympic trials. And he finished, what, I think out of 19 races, he finished in 17th. He finished in last or next to last in his heat. Uh, not last in his heat. But he, uh, first of all, he ran well. I mean, it was impressive. And you see how ginormous he was in comparison to the guys he was running against. It was impressive. So even though he didn't make it and he failed, he gave credit where credit was due to the real racers, the folks who have dedicated their lives to doing this. So he did that, and, uh, and he was humbled by it. But also, he really did well for himself. And so you have to think about the great sprinters turned football players. Think about Willie Gaunt and uh, Ronaldo Nehemiah. Skeets Nehemiah, that was one of those guys. Herschel Walker was a big track guy in the 80s. That was a long, long time ago. But, yeah, so that happened. So uh, other stuff, NBA real quick. Uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, triple-double record for career. Man, what an impressive feat. And, I mean, the guy is one of my favorite guys because he comes to play every single night. He's about that life. He's about his team. He's about his organization, whoever that is. I'm telling you, man, the dude gets a bad rap, but he comes to play every night. And history will judge him kindly. So with that... Let's get into our first conversation with our guy from the special teams unit, Eddie Robinson. Eddie Robinson, of course, 11-year NFL vet, but he also is our European sports nerd. He loves all European sports, and I'm sure at some point that will come up. I'm sure he will bring it up or uh, he will get into it because that's just – especially this time of year is getting to be his time of year, and uh, we'll have to see how that goes. But here's our conversation with Eddie Robinson. being immersed in uh, in baseball these days. He's immersed. I don't know if he is as immersed in the Astros as I am, but how about those Astros, Eddie? Well, let's go, Yankees. You already know who I'm immersed in. And, and you know, the Yankees took two out of three from the Strolls. We're going to start with that to the little guy who beats on trash cans, hit the home run. But that, you know what? I know that had to feel good for Altuve in that third game because the, the Yankees fans were on them. I mean, the 10,000 that were in the Bronx, they were letting them have it. So to hit that home run at that point, uh, I'm sure it felt good to get the monkey off his back. Well, see, they acted like it was a monkey on his back. It was COVID he was coming back from. Come on. Now you want to put distractions. See, COVID can't be the excuse for everything that happens in this world. The you man know, everything just was dealing back. with that world championship and beating on those garbage cans. <laughs> when he hit that high fastball, 99 miles per hour, 
you know, off the closer, which off a Chapman, which just doesn't happen unless you know what the pitch is. Let's let's call it for what it is. Okay, now. wait a minute. Let's not act like call it's a ball, a ball, and strike a strike. Let's not act like he got fifty pitches. Everybody knows he's coming with high heat. He just jumped on. No, the right no, field. no. That that you know, high heat is one thing, but at ninety nine, when you jump on top of that and tomahawk that to the to the to the uh, left field, you know, to the Crawford boxes, bruh. Come on, man. Hey, you, you talking about he, the all MVP? You to do is look he's at Chapman a, and, and look at the astonishment on his face. Like, wow. It was like he knew it was coming. And and obviously he did. First of all, see, this is revisionist history. And I don't want to relitigate this again. Hey, this, but, hey, this could be the now. I'm telling you, if you go down this trail, this might take the whole show. Now, we may not cover nothing. <laughs> so you, you might understand this. <laughs> officially, officially MLB, all of the allegations were 2017. This happened in 2019. Okay, the, the home run you talking about it was in 2019. Now, that wasn't even in 2017. So, Whatever. So, again. Whatever. So it was anyway. the same thing. It was still going on. Anyway, the Yankees got other problems. Aaron Judge can't. Is he broke out of his slump? He was Yeah, hard. yeah. The Yankees are looking good, man. We won the first two. Actually, Tuesday night, I was at the Trump. I was in Tampa and watched my Yankees pull off that victory. What was it? Two to one, three to one, something like that. It was a good game. Chapman came in, closed it out, and, and last night uh, won a one nothing game with Cole pitching. And um, I mean, Judge is looking good. Uh, every, Wait, I mean, he wasn't much, like, everything's he... moving good for the Yankees. They started off real slow and and kind of picking it up. But, you know, baseball doesn't get interesting until, like, August, September. So, you know, right now you're just kind of moving back and forth trying to keep everybody healthy. But uh, Aaron Judge wasn't hitting nothing against the Astros. I think he, he was like – I have it written down here. He was horrible in that series. What, hey, what man, you, you, you have part of that. The, the Yankees have – out of that 10-man lineup, the nine-man lineup batting, I mean, they got, like, seven guys who can hit 30 home runs. So the thing about the Yankees – it's a home run team. But if you're not hitting a long ball, then, then you know, we're not going to win, which is why you got to have good pitching. Now, the pitching is the thing. I mean, you have Cole, you have Cooper, you have Herman, who's looking good. Yeah, Herman, I mean, yeah. also you have Seve, who's going to be coming back in a, in a couple months. So, I mean, I think the Yankees are pretty much trying to build this thing up to peak in, you know, September and October. And, and that's going to have to do with keeping the home run hitters healthy and also having the pitching staff in good shape. And so, and, that, and that's what most teams are trying to do. I mean, I, I think what's the biggest surprise to me is San Francisco out there leading the West when you got San Diego and the Dodgers. And I was like, I looked at it the other day, and I, I said, whoa, San Francisco's in first place? Like, what? Yeah, where did that come there. from? You they've know what I'm saying? There. I think, yeah. I don't know if they win championships. Like, is it the even number year or the odd number year? I don't know which one, but I know every other year they would win the world championship. So we got to. I got to go back and see which year they always yeah, win the championship. It, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was something weird like that. It, it was a streak. I think that streak got broken. But, you know, you talk about the Yankees hit by COVID. Phil Nevin, the third base coach, seven Yankees in all were out with COVID. Uh, or, or, or I guess some of it was uh, protocol. And But Nevin, who had both shots, ended up getting sick again. Um, I don't know how sick he is, but he did get diagnosed with, with COVID. So that's going on. Also, Fernando Tatis, you talk about the NL West, he got it. And he's out. And then a couple guys that were in close proximity to him, they're out. So... It yeah, was, and I'm and I don't know if the if the MLB I, I I'm assuming that they don't have mandatory vaccinations because I would think everyone on the MLB team would have had the opportunity to get vaccinated, and if that's the case, you would think you know that it would be a less likely chance of of guys getting it. I don't know if some guys may you know feel like I'm pretty healthy and 
skip the vaccination and feel like, hey, man, half the team got the vaccination. I should be okay. So, but I, I think as we move further down the line, I think COVID is having a, a less and less impact on sports. So, Let's the NFL so. is always the leader of, of, of sports. And so, once once the NFL said no fans, I knew this thing was serious last year. And so, and, so, and it's the same thing this year. If the NFL allows, you know, 50% or 80% fans where it's moving towards that trend to get back to 100, and at that point, I know we're out the woods and we're moving in the right direction. So the NFL is kind of the, the bell mark of, of where the rest of the society goes. Well, it seems like, and it looks like they're headed for 100% capacity. At least the Texans have indicated so. So let's talk a little bit of NFL. couple things uh, that stood out. What do you think about DK Metcalf trying to run the 100 with those uh, potential Olympians? First of all, it was impressive. As big as he is, what did you think? Well, I thought it was a good a good try. I mean, the, the thing about it, I always tell people, when a person has professional in front of their name, it's a different level. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I don't care whether you're professional at. I mean, if you're, if you're a professional track and field runner and a sprinter, that means that you wake up and you go to bed dreaming about your start, the middle of the race, the finish, your, your lean at the line. And so these guys are doing it every day. So for him to just be able to jump on there, which is raw talent, and go in there and get it, yeah, I think that was a, a tip of the cat to him. But really, when guys are professionals, you got to respect that that professional in front of their name. Yeah, and he found out, and, and he was really uh, he really gave credit where credit was due in that situation. But again, like you said, it was great effort for him. The other big thing, and of course, the NFL makes this big deal out of the schedule release. I don't pay a lot of attention because, again, we're still months and months, months yeah, away yeah. from it. And we never did talk about the 17 games. I don't know if we talked about that. How do you feel about the 17 games? Man, they 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 slipped it in. It's like I was I'm looking at the same schedule and I'm like, man, where's the four preseason game? Then I realized, whoa. <laughs> like, and then, and, you know, because it's easy for me to look and I know the teams in the divisions. So I was like, all right, we got the NFC East. I see the Cowboys and Giants. And, all right, we got we got the AFC East. We got the Bills and whatever. You know, we got the first place schedule. Got Green Bay. So I'm checking off all the teams. Then I see the Titans. I'm like, why are we playing the Titans? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so it took me a while to realize, oh, that's the extra game. That's the that's the like I don't know how they figure we play the Titans, but that's the one that the extra game that we play. It just made no sense because I'm looking at all the rest of the games and it just was like stuck out stuck out like a sore thumb. Which is cool to me because the games in Nashville and me having playing with the Titans, that's the game I would definitely enjoy going to. But, yeah, I'm I'm not a, a big fan of it. I think when you cut those preseason games down to three, you really hurt the young guys, the free agent guys who are trying to make a team because you have a less opportunity to go out there and prove yourself. And when you had those four games, you know, usually the, the starters, if they would play the first game, they may play a quarter. You know, second game, you would play a half. Third game, you would play a half and and coming out of the, uh, you know, maybe a little bit into the third quarter. In the fourth game, you would kind of let the, you know, maybe it's a couple guys who are battling to make that last spot. Who that, that may be their only opportunity to ever get a chance to play on an NFL game or to make that roster. So you kind of have, have cut that out a little bit. So it really hurts that young player who's trying to trying to go to the next level. In 16 games going to 17, I guess it will be kind of weird with the final schedule of it would be more like a percentage thing because now 
I mean, you, everybody's going to have a winning record or a losing record. Yeah, so it's yeah. not going to be any eight and eights anymore. So it, it should be pretty interesting to see how it works out. Well, you know, they'll go to 18. But I want to go back to something you talked about. Yeah, you know, you know that's where it's moving to. If oh, you go to 17, you might as well do 18 because, you know, why Why not? At this so, point? He, so he here was my proposal. This, and I don't know who threw this out first. Somebody threw it out. And this is the one that gravitated to me. And, and I, it ta- when they talked about going 18 games, but you can only play in 16. So that will give you an expanded roster, but some, but but players, every single player on the roster had to take at least two games off. So you can only max out at sixteen. I thought, man, what a interesting twist that that will provide. Say, if you have a, when do you hold Brady out? Do you wait to the last two games? Do you take a chance? Maybe you need a late season win. Do you take him out, give him a week off in the middle of the season? Or if like, you playing the Texans, then maybe you let right. him sit off that game because you know you can still beat him. <laughs> right, I, I don't right. know. So yeah, that's that. Was <laughs> I'm joking. I'm yeah. joking. I'm sorry, Houston. Don't don't come to my house, y'all. Y'all, you know. I'm, Let's go Texans, but <laughs> but but seriously, that that would give a little bit more intrigue and and a uh, coaches are on the hot seat and they always have to make big decisions. If I'm a coach, don't add that to a decision that I have to make because then is why did you hold so and so out this game or such and such? But you know what it would then, do though. I mean, it I would... guess through the natural injury process, maybe some guys would just automatically miss a game or, or have a bang or a bruise and you need to hold them out anyway. But but not only that, think about this. You would really be competing for backups in certain key positions. I mean you were I mean some of the guys that were second, you know, that wouldn't be uh traditional starters, you would really compete to have them on the rosters that because you knew that they would have to start a couple of games for you uh, as the season went on. So yeah, I mean so that was the one that I like. But let me go back to the preseason thing. So a lot of the teams instead of the preseason they're doing the joint practices. Do you think that the these guys that are competing for jobs can get as much from those situations as opposed to an actual game like that? Oh yeah, the joint the the, the joint practices usually end up in a fight at some point. So I mean <laughs> those those joint practices are very competitive. I, I remember we had a joint practice against the Redskins one time and and you know back in our run and shoot day, maybe Jeff Fisher was just taking it over. And I think Ernest Givens it's either Ernest or Hey, with Jeffries, they run a, a deep in route, and man, one of the one of the DBs from the Redskins just lit our guy up. Bam! We said, "Hey, man, what the hell?" So, of course, they had the same thing happen, and Chris Dishman caught one of their receivers and lit him up too. Bam! And then after that, it was just a whole free for all. You know, they didn't get much more out of that joint practice. So usually, especially if guys know it's one less preseason game, and I have to make this team. I mean, I, I don't care. You know, in the Redskins and, and the Oilers, you figure we had no history. We hardly ever played each other. And we were playing in a random preseason game. So we did a joint practice in, in some small town in Tennessee or whatever, Virginia. I don't even know where we were at. And, but it just turned into like, and once, that, once you get that first fight, it's done. You're not going to get anything out of it. You can calm the guys down. It's like the whole rest of the two days practice is just going to wash. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to see what happens with that. The other thing in the NFL, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow gets signed and everybody loses their damn minds about Tim Tebow getting signed as a tight end. And, and I'll get your thoughts, but let me say this. So they're like, he's never played tight end in his life. Well, yeah, that's true. But you're talking about catching a random couple of passes. He knows how to catch a football. So it's not like it's brain surgery. It's not like going from tight end to quarterback and you've never played quarterback. I mean, the, the transition is different for sure, but it's not that much more complicated uh, when you start talking about that position. I think it's much ado about not much. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's, if there's one position you can just jump in and 
and play is tight end. You know what I'm <laughs> let's, just, let's just be honest. Maybe fullback also. I mean, you're, you're, you're blocking the guy in front of you. I mean, he's obviously a quarterback, so he knows what routes are, are what. He knows coverages. So he can run a route. I mean, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I think uh, for me, you know, we talked about it. You know, you got a, the Taysom Hill effect. I mean, if he can go in there and run a little wildcat and, and maybe cover a kick and play some special teams, then why not? I mean, he's a big guy. He's strong. He's an athlete. I mean, let him go in there and give a chance. But I don't – I mean, he's in Jacksonville. And, of course, you know, I lived in Jacksonville. And in Jacksonville, they're not Miami. They're not UM. They're not Florida State. Jacksonville is close to the Gainesville. They love the Gators. It's a, it's a Florida Gator town. I mean, from the standpoint of will it sell a couple more tickets and, and on a struggling team, hey, yeah, why not? And from the standpoint that this is the guy that helped me to win the national championship and I'm Urban Meyer, he's a guy that I trust, he's a leader, good, high-character guy, then yeah, absolutely. To me, it's a no-brainer to bring a guy like that in and give him a try. I mean, what's, what's it going to cost you? You didn't have to trade for him. You didn't have to... Pick him is just sign him as a free agent and see what happens. Give him a chance to do something. I don't see what's the, all the hype. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people are pointing to Colin Kaepernick, but to me, these are, are totally uh, separate things. And, and then when- yeah, but he didn't sign him as a quarterback, and, and so I mean, as once again, I mean, sometimes people are like looking for the story, and I don't think there's a story, you know, other than I mean, he's he, obviously he's not getting any reps at quarterback. You got to a rookie number one pick. So, I mean, we all know where that's going. So, I mean, hey, what's 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 the problem? Right, right. I want to go real quick before we get out of here, some NBA stuff. Uh, Russell Westbrook sets the career mark for triple doubles. Uh, how impressed are you by that? And what does that say about him and uh, and really today's game? I mean, I, I love what Russ. I mean, he uh, – I mean, the guy's a competitor. He plays hard every night. You know, when, when he was with the Rockets for that short time – I felt like I got my money's worth. He's a guy that I'll, I'll leave my house and pay money to go see. And he competes. I, as, a, as a teammate, I mean, I don't really know what you can say bad about a guy that goes out there and plays hard other than, man, he dresses funny. But, I mean, as far as on the, on the court, I mean, he gives it to you night in and night out. So definitely well-deserved. Um, I mean, you can critique his game, but you can critique every player's game. You can say he's never won a, a world championship and, and all those type of things. But, hey. It's not his fault that the two guys that were brought there with them left, you know, KD and Harden. If the two of them would have stayed, they probably would have won a world championship. So he he got caught holding the bag. So, I mean, that's not his fault. But the guy competes and plays hard every night. So I love him as a player. I would definitely pick him if if I needed a point guard. Yeah, big historic feat by him uh, to break that record. 182 triple doubles, man. What a a feat by that guy. And finally, what your thoughts on the playing games? Do you the playing tournament? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, that's I don't know. That's that's one of those things. It's like either you're in the playoffs or you're not in the playoffs. I mean, I, I thought it was good for COVID because everybody was in the bubble and you keep the fans interested one more time. But at this point, if, if you have teams and, and now it's like more and more teams that have a losing record, you know, you, you're kind of rewarding mediocrity. And nobody wants, if you get a C minus, you shouldn't move on to the next grade. You know what I'm yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel. So I, I mean, like, well, well, you help a coach keep a job, but most of the time those guys aren't going to do much. I mean, at those teams. And so I'm probably more against it than I am for it. 
Yeah, we'll have to see how this one plays out. This is a one-year experiment, so it could carry over and it couldn't. I'll, uh, I suspect that they'll look at the ratings, and that'll tell the tale on whether or not this thing will continue. Uh, Formula One, any news? I mean, watch our guy Lewis Hamilton win again uh, last time out. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a lot harder. I'm, I'm it's gonna getting, tell you, it's getting in- tough. They were they were in Catalonia, uh, outside of Barcelona, and so really good track. And, and Red Bull with with Max Verstappen actually jumped Lewis Hamilton at the start and, and had control of the race. Uh, Lewis takes a late pit stop, and for some reason Red Bull didn't. And so well, they Lewis took the was able early. to track he, him he, down and, and, and pass him. But, well, yeah, he no, he took the early one. Uh, Verstappen took the the pit stop first, and Hamilton went a little longer. And, and see, now you converted me, so now I can talk about this I, with you. I, I, so, I, you know what? I'm impressed. I'm in, <laughs> but but later in the race, later in the race, young Jedi, right. I love young Jedi. Right. You I, I was there. Okay, so, cool. So later in the race, when when they had like twenty something laps to go, when Lewis was behind Max and just couldn't really get past him. Lewis took a second pit stop, and Max decided not to. So Lewis pitted and then was still able to catch up with him because it's a 22-second delta pit stop, which means it takes you that long to get into the pits and get back out. So, you know, at the end of the race, Max is like, well, Lewis was just too fast. But what really makes Mercedes so good, it's like a, it's almost Brady and Belichick. Now, Lewis is a great driver, but they also have a great car, but they also have great strategy, which means, you know, the, the guys who are actually there, I mean, you have tons of data. And they're looking at all these different, you know, how long can we get into the pits? How can we get back out? So Mercedes does a great job with strategy. So if Max would have took that pit stop the next lap after Lewis, he would have came back out and front of Lewis, and then Lewis would have still had to pass him again on track. What happened was Red Bull and Max Verstappen decided not to take the pit stop, so once Lewis caught up with him, Lewis had much fresher tires and he was able to pass him. So, But my thing is, is I'm, I'm kind of getting a little upset with Max. I love him as a driver. I think he's a future world champion, but he's going on the old default well, you know, Mercedes' car is just too fast. No, you your team had a bad strategy, so it's not just the car. So maybe the car... Lewis's car was a little faster on this track, but also their strategy was better, too. And I think the combination of the strategy, the car, and Lewis is why Mercedes has been too dominant, so dominant. And if you take one of those pieces out, it's not the same team. Like Botas, yeah, Botas he has the same he- car and the same strategy, but he's not the same driver. And if I look at Verstappen, he's probably really close to the same driver as Lewis. But his car is a little bit not as good, and his strategy is always off. And yeah, so it takes strategy. all three to have a really good Formula One team. It's, it's a lot like football because you can have great players, but if you don't have a great coach, and then even if you have a great coach, if you don't have a great game day strategy, it all has to mesh together, and you need a little bit of luck too. And then that's how you're able to have have some success. Yeah, well, well keep it. When are they racing again? Because again, now, now oh, I would man, see the next this. race is Monte Carlo, the Monte Carlo Grand Prix. So this is this is the big thing about Monte Carlo is is like a parade. Of course, I went to Monte Carlo a couple of years ago, go, and it's an awesome bragging. experience. But it's not a great racing day because it's going through the streets of Monte Carlo, and it's almost impossible to pass. So whoever qualifies first has a great chance of winning the race. So you really have to watch the qualifying because the qualifiers have a lot. If you have a bad day in qualifying, you're not going to win at the Monte Carlo Grand Prix. So how but much fun is that? That's a the, great that's race scene. because you have the scenery. is right there south of France, and you have the water and everything. It's a beautiful track to go to. If you're ever I mean, in the I've south of France yeah, the, in late May, you should try it out, young Devin Wade. But it's a big race. But again, how interesting is that if nobody can pass? 
I mean, well, that's the thing. It's one of those races. There's a couple races like that where you know, the street course is a little bit tight. So once again, it's going to come down to strategy because you have to have a great strategy to know when to pit, when to get in, when to get out. So you don't get the lap cars and all that type of stuff. So it's, it's still exciting, man. So, I mean, hey, the, the, the Euro sports are really picking up in the summer. So you need to watch, you know, Look, now you you have, I know everybody's waiting for the Tour de France in July. But before yeah. that, you know, you have the, uh, and in May, man, I'm drawing the blank. In Italy, <laughs> see, man, I can't believe I'm drawing the blank. But you have the Grand Tour in Italy that's going on right now, and so it's like just about the first week. So you, it's it's, it's a lot of excitement. So I mean, for me, this is my perfect time of the year. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, and they have a pink jersey in the Italian race as opposed to the yellow jersey. So if you get Eurosport or Sky One. You can bootleg it, you know, go to YouTube, and you can also follow along also with the with the race in, in uh, Italy. Look, you got me on Formula One because it comes on early in the morning. It's not competing with anything, but I'm not watching the hours of bicycle racing. I'm just not. I mean, so. Well, if you, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you go on, on YouTube and you just pull it up, they really it's really good because they condense a four-hour race into, like, six minutes. And really, that's that all I'll you really do. need to see is that, six minutes. Yeah, that because do. It, it starts off, it's going to have some excitement in the middle, and then it's going to have a either a sprint at the end or somebody's going to be climbing up a mountain and leave somebody. So, <laughs> well, oh, the Giro, how can I really forget this? Oh, the Giro d'Italia, that's what's going long. on now. That's the So you have three grand tours. You have the Giro d'Italia in May, which is in Italy. You have the Tour de France, of course, which everybody knows about. Then you have the Volta de España, which is in October. So those are like the three <laughs> big grand tours, and that's what we're kind of gearing up for now, you know, in the cycling. I just went too long. I just went too long. Yeah, man. You. So you get you start asking me questions, man. I'm start I'm start going on a trend here, man. Yeah, you, know? you go off on on a tangent. So how can folks reach you on social media, man? <laughs> hey, it's at Erob50 on Instagram and Twitter. Hey, man, we'll talk to you soon about stuff other than bicycle racing. <laughs> hey, man, the bicycle racing is where it's at. I'm telling you, I'm, I, you know, I'm already, I know I have you going to Circuit of the Americas. I know you're going to Austin. the Formula One race in late October, but I'm also going to get you to go to a cycling race with me one of these years. <laughs> well, I don't know about the, oh, man. So what, they, they, you, you sit there all day and they pass you in 15 seconds and then you're like, oh, there's the, the Peloton, all right? <laughs> like, yeah, well, and then they come. Kind of it, but like, like anything, you got parties, you have festivities. There's a whole lot of things that are going on until the race come. And actually, it's like in the Tour de France when I went, you have like a lead car. You have a – they're throwing stuff out. It's like a whole parade. It's a caravan. So okay. it's not just the races. So you might have a good 45 or 30 minutes of caravan before the racers come. And then so it's a whole hour and a half experience. But, yes. You're waiting for quite some time. But you after that, you go to the pub, you have a drink, you watch the rest of the race. I was in Nice, and so they actually left and came back to the same spot. So it was just perfect for me. So I was able to see the start and the finish. So you got will But you know worry, what? Let me, let me, let me say gonna this. Time it up. You're going to have a great experience, man. Just get your mustache and curl it on the end. You'll be perfect. <laughs> let me tell you. You know they do get this podcast in New Orleans, man. And you they may not let you back in if you keep talking about going to pubs. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You got you to get a pint, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, ain't nobody drinking no hot-ass Guinness. <laughs>
<laughs> hey, now you talk about Guinness, I and mean, now now we going way deep on the tangent. So when I went to Ireland, I went to the Guinness factory. Oh man, it was a treat. And of course, when you get to the top, you get all of the Guinness you could drink, man. Now, if you ever in Dublin, yeah, that's you have half got a to glass. Go to the Guinness factory. That's half a glass. You so full after half a glass of Guinness, you ain't gonna drink. Man, that, that, hey, that's a strong lager. That's all I'm gonna say. But they but they went through like where they get the barley from is a certain type of barley that grows at a certain climate everything so you have to go through the whole experience and then of course man it's unlimited pints once you get to the top so i yeah i, drink, so I tasted drink. it but i mean I, hey, if you drink too much you may not make it back down but it was you awesome cannot drink man. too much it's so heavy you drink half a pint you like okay hey, I'm look, good. At, look at here man just because you like the the, uh, the bud light and make it no, light. Be a man, IPA, get some hair man. in your chest you're gonna drink drink some red stripe real man beer oh, you know no, I'm, I'm ipas man texas beer hey man i'm getting oh, out okay. of here oh you you <laughs> A micro brewery kind of guy. I, am. Right, I got you. I'm a connoisseur, man. Discerning wow. taste. We'll catch up with you soon. <laughs> All right. Appreciate the time, man. Love talking some Euro sports. Yeah, okay. Well, me too. <laughs> For past episodes or more content, go to wadeswordproductions.com. I want to thank Eddie as always. Always enjoyed the conversation. Uh, right now, I got to take a time out and hear a word from our sponsor and some new music from singer Terry Donald. I'll tell you a little bit more about that on the other side. In addition to that, coming up in the second half of the show, our conversation with a soccer expert, Nana Asare. And uh, we'll talk about some Super League and uh, how that fell through and get some information, just some, just some overall knowledge about uh, world soccer and a little bit of MLS as well. So that's coming up. And, of course, a Lamont Award for the big dummy of the episode. Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams.
That is new music from singer Terry Donald. She's a singer, actor. Uh, she does all of that. Uh, she's doing uh, stage production now, uh, but her music uh, is available on iTunes or anywhere you can download your music. That's the latest from her. Terry Donald, T-E-R-R-I-E, Donald. You definitely want to check more of her out. And if you have music you want played on the podcast, the genre does not matter. We gave our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy, the episode off so we can hear from Terry Donald. Uh, but uh, you can submit your music to music at wadeswordproductions.com, music at wadeswordproductions.com. The genre doesn't matter, as I said. And uh, just uh, email us, and uh, we'll play a snippet at the halfway point, an extended portion of a mix if you're a DJ we'll play a portion of the mix the halfway point and an extended portion or an entire song at the end of the episode with that I want to get into some soccer some football I'm trying to expand my horizons and, and a couple weeks ago it was a huge story in the world of soccer as uh, several teams in Europe tried to form a super league and it fell apart but it was a very interesting story. One of the things that stood out to me is the fact that the fans really dictated and blew this thing up. Fans and then the politicians. But it was the fans that just rejected this outright. And it empowered the fans in a way that you just don't see in America. And it, I, I, it's like a, a, a victory for the little guy in these situations and uh, i wanted to get an understanding from someone immersed in that world and nana asari professor nana asari uh, who's been on the show before to talk world cup and, and talk uh, some national soccer he visited with me so we could catch up on some mls super league and some other soccer stuff a very uh, increasingly influential guy in the world of football so here is our talk with nana asari As promised, going to talk uh, about some international football with Nana Sorry, our resident soccer expert. And uh, I'm not just saying that. He's earned his stripes. He's uh, well accomplished. And we'll talk about some of the things he's doing in the world of soccer or football. But I wanted to get you on this afternoon to talk a little bit about the biggest story internationally in the world of sports, although it, you know it didn't make much as much noise here in the United States. I'm talking about the uh, attempt to create a super league, and that alienated fans in several different countries, and there was a huge backlash. And I want to let's start by explaining what was attempted and why did it or did it not work so tell us a little bit about this big headline story we're hearing all about the super league sure uh devin it's a pleasure to be on your show this afternoon so essentially what we're dealing with is an attempt for european clubs essentially 12 of the biggest most profitable clubs in european football attempting to split away from the uefa champions league which is a tournament that has been going on since 1955 and has garnered so much attention over the years in terms of producing some of the finest football the world has seen. That tournament is um, it's profitable for a number of reasons. Number one is because European football has been seen, whether right or wrong, as the most attractive style of football for the last 50 plus years. Number two, you have multi-billionaire 
owners, which includes some American owners that have essentially bankrolled these teams in buying and trading players over a certain period of years or number of years. And what that's essentially created is a lot of broadcasting rights, TV rights, if you will, sponsorship, branding, marketing opportunities. And so there's a huge implication when we talk about this soccer market that's created by European football. Now, these 12 clubs that attempted to form a Super League, which was spearheaded by the club management and ownership, was essentially telling UEFA, hey, we're tired of your old system. We want to have our own system where we control our destiny, where we can sign our own TV and broadcasting rights, where we can enter into our own branding and sponsorship or partnership agreements, and so on and so forth. We don't have to be restricted anymore by what UEFA as the governing body tells us to do. And so that was essentially the backdrop of that story. The question is, why? Why it now? Why would it be so important in the middle of a pandemic where fans are essentially relegated to watching games on television? Why would it be so important to unroll this plan at this particular time? I think it was poorly planned and uh, largely uh, they did not anticipate the impact that it would have on the fan base. And that's where you're seeing a lot of the kickback and upheaval and rightfully so. So, okay, so I'm going to try to paint a picture here from my knowledge, my, my sort of rudimentary knowledge of, of UEFA and European soccer. So this is how I understand it. So what you have is you have the Premier League, you have Bundesliga, you had, uh, what is the, the it, it, uh, Syria, what is it, Syria? Yes, you have Syria, you uh, have uh, Ligue 1. You have uh, the Dutch Eredivisie. You have obviously the Premier League, which is the the one in England. Yeah. So you, you have got, yeah. You, so you have all of these leagues in La Liga. It, it, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You have all of these leagues in different countries, mm-hmm. and if you are in the top four in your country, you get to participate in a tournament above that called the Champions Ch- League. Right. That's correct. That's correct. Right. Now, UEFA is the the governing body uh, over the Champions League, right? Is that that's, right? That's correct. Okay. The, the pushback was a bunch of owners got together and said, well, we we don't want to deal with UEFA. We want to create our own thing. But we also they don't have want to compete for the top four spots. We want those automatic. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. And, and, exactly. and that's where a lot of the pushback came from. People like, well, why would you automatically? We already have a system in place. Why are you trying to be disruptive to the system when, you know, if you're in the top four, you play in a Champions League? Is that right? That's exactly right. So the, the fan argument is that this essentially would relegate those 12 teams into competing year in and year out amongst themselves for within this Super League. And there wouldn't be much competition for the top four clubs of the top leagues in Europe because there wouldn't be an incentive outside of their domestic league to look forward to a Champions League-type format. So when you look at teams like Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United... Liverpool. Liverpool uh, and in, in England. And then you look at teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona. When you look at Juventus and Inter Milan and AC Milan, we're talking about some mega teams here, 
world's brands that command a lot of uh, respect and a lot of dollars. And so you would think that they would be successful by splitting away and forming their own league. But again, the spirit of competition and the fan base suggests that this was not going to ever be a successful attempt simply because the fans have five, six, seven generations of family members who are attached to the competitions and the memories of the Champions League. And this would have intensely would have done away with all of that. So above UEFA, you have FIFA. Now, FIFA is in the international body that governs all soccer all over the world. Is that right? That's correct. What did they have to say about all of this? FIFA was also not a fan of this. According to FIFA, I'm, I'm just summarizing here, they thought that this went against the spirit of competition and fair play. Their argument is that, why are you doing this at this particular time, number one? Number two, it is violates antitrust and anti-competition and um, essentially a lot of legal issues that would have been a result of this in terms of breach of contracts and how these leagues were formed and how they were entered into. It would have also essentially caused ramifications for a lot of the players in terms of how international players are able to move in a transfer pool from club to club. And so there are a lot of implications. And in the long run, it would have all fell back onto FIFA's shoulders because they would have had to essentially deal with the legal impact of, of all of it. My next question is uh, about... Uh, like the financial implications. Take a team like Leicester City. That's like one of the, that's always been one of the lower teams, right? Am, am I right about that? That's correct. So historically, Leicester has been at the bottom of the league, if you will, and, and maybe suspect to or, or almost eligible for relegation. That, that means to move down. And, and just for the fans who don't know what relegation is, so in England you have the Premier League. That's the top twenty teams, or is that right? Top twenty. Uh, so England has roughly, let's say, about thirty or so teams. Thirty um, teams, thirty teams in in the Premier League. Now, if you finish in the bottom four, you get sent down to what is the what's the league under the Premier League in England? They have uh, what's called the Premiership. Okay, so the the Premiership League. If you don't finish, if you're in the bottom four, you get sent down to almost like the minor leagues or a lesser league, and then the top four teams from that league move up to the Premier League. So, say if a team like Leicester City has an opportunity, and like they did, they won the Premier League a few years ago. How much, how in dollar amount? What would you say the implications are if they did qualify for the Champions League? So there's a lot of money to be made when you enter into the Champions League tournament pool. I had I read a report that said that the top team that wins the championship, uh, excuse me, the European uh, Championship or the Champions League has the potential to make 82, 82 million euros. And that roughly translates to about $100 million for one tournament, which is over, obviously, four to six months period. And so there's a lot of financial applications for not only the winners, but also for the runner-ups, and then also everyone that makes it to the knockout phase and so forth. There's a 32 teams that are guaranteed a spot automatically. I think I misspoke earlier when I said that there are 30 teams in the EPL. That's incorrect. There's actually 32 teams 
around the European, various European leagues that will make it into the Champions League if they are within the top four of their domestic leagues. In the EPL, you have about 20 teams. And as you indicated, Leicester City, I think uh, four or five years ago, actually won the entire league out of nowhere. I think the odds for them was like one out of, let's say, uh, 1,100 or something uh, for them to win. And they actually won. It was a Cinderella season for the ages. And so this year in the EPL, guess what? Leicester City is also currently in the top four of the EPL, which is the English Premier League. So at the end of this season, if they maintain their top four status, they would have the opportunity to compete in the Champions League in 2022. So this is the impact that the 32-team pool has in the, in the Champions League. With the Super League set up, a lesser city would never make it. They would never have the chance simply because the top 12 teams that are quote-unquote historically the most significant, the most profitable, the most popular would be the ones that are automatically signing on to the Super League and everybody else would essentially be on their own so there would be, on. yeah, it wouldn't be no uh, no reward for for Leicester City uh, if they won the Premier League. So that exactly the reward, right. it wouldn't be the big payoff. They would be they win it, but it would it wouldn't come with the financial windfall that going to a Champions League tournament uh, exactly. sort of would bring them. Right. That's exactly right. Right. So I'm I, like I said, I'm trying to paint a picture because I know that most of my audience are not. Soccer fans, we're trying to I'm trying to learn more, trying to bring a few people with me to understand. Because what I do like about uh, soccer or international football, for that matter, uh, what I like about it is that you literally can play the best in the world. It's like if you had an NBA team, you had the American NBA team and the Russian NBA team, and then the the Chinese NBA, and the winners of those leagues competed in another tournament. I think that's the the coolest thing about soccer is that you have an opportunity to literally, when you're the world champion, you are the world champion. And then, of course, you have the World Cup where they come together as nations, but your particular team can prove to be the best team in the entire world. And, and I mean, I love that. And so I think that that is really intriguing. But I just heard about this story, and it had massive ramifications. And what I liked also about it, again, the fan response was so strong, they ended this thing. They shut it down within 48 hours. Can American fans learn from that? Because I, if this was attempted in the United States, I don't know that you would have the same a sort of resolve among sports fans, or maybe they would feel more helpless. What's your take on what can American fans learn something about the fans response to the super league? Sure. I think if you look at our, the history of the NBA and the NFL, which are the two biggest sports products in the United States, I think there's something to be learned by that. Uh, if you look at the move back in the uh, early 2000s of Seattle supersonics moving from Seattle and then re, you know, into Oklahoma City and then becoming another team. If you look at uh, the Oakland Raiders going to Los Angeles and then back to Oakland and then now to Las Vegas, there's some implication there. You know, there's some of that historical significance there. If you look at, uh, I mean, so many sports teams here, the Green Bay Packers, for example, which have... A, a ownership that is consisted of essentially 
fans in the Green Bay, Wisconsin area that have ownership, they may be able to be in a position to say, no, we don't want to have this type of competition or no, we want to enter into this particular or uh, competition. In other words, they would have a little bit more say. It seems right now with the current setup with NFL and NBA, the owners would have a lot more say because anytime they get ready to make a, a move, it's usually centered around, well, we're not making a whole lot of money. And so we need to move from city to city. We haven't had the issue of an NBA or an NFL team trying to move out of the NFL or NBA and to join, let's say, a European league. We haven't had that issue yet. But perhaps in the future, that might come up as the NBA starts to expand into NBA Africa and NBA Europe and so forth and so on. Perhaps later on, uh, that issue might come up. But I don't think that in the uh, near future we will see something like that. Well, yeah, and, and, and what we've seen is individual franchises. We saw here in Houston when the Oilers left. It's the, it, So the uproar across the league, you know, a lot of fans are like, hey, it sucks for Houston, it sucks for Cleveland, it sucks for Baltimore, sucks for St. Louis, but that's their problem. And we don't see this as a collective issue. Now, I know it, it has not been – good in in a lot of ways to lose a team in seattle but at the end of the day are you going to have rallies in houston or in dallas or in san antonio about what happens to the seattle supersonics and and that's where you kind of you don't get the the unified pushback it's a good thing when the fans sort of take control back and so like you know that's a, a underdog story that we don't hardly see anymore especially in america where you know money rules all in the collective it doesn't matter what the masses think uh, as long as the rich people want to you know increase their income they'll do what they want to do so that's what made this an even more intriguing story for me even though of course i don't have a a dog in the fight uh, among all of these situations want to ask you about some on the field stuff as mls is just kicking off what do you think about the level of competition in the MLS? Is it get last time we talked a few years ago? Has competition improved? Is the MLS getting a little bit more respectability or about the same? I would say that the MLS is doing a fantastic job of number one expanding expansion. That has been the focus. If you look at the uh, historical makeup of the MLS, they've been really expanding the fan base of soccer by establishing more teams in, in the quote-unquote uh, more or less traditional areas. For example, if you look at the uh, last three teams that have now b- become expansion teams in MLS, I'll take, talk about three that jump out. One being Nashville, uh, another one being Cincinnati, and the most recent one this year being right down, um, down the road from us in Austin. There are now 27 teams in the MLS, which one would say makes the fan base grow a, a lot quicker. Uh, the accessibility of not having a professional sports team in Austin is very, very attractive. Austin also has a very eclectic uh, base of uh, internationals, and as well as soccer fans and university students. So it makes sense there. Now, when we talk about the products on the field, when we're talking about the players, the style of play, as well as the quality of the players, 
I think that's where a lot of people would ask or make comments towards how many of the superstars are coming out of these leagues. Even right now, as we speak, some of the best under 20 or under 25 players that are coming from the United States are playing or applying their trade in Europe in um, Syria for Juventus, for, in the case of Christian Pulisic, Chelsea, in the EPL. Uh, how can uh, we get those players back? You know, how can we get them to stay? So <laughs> I think the number one is that, you know, you'd have to make the league a lot more attractive. It's way Financially or what? I would say financially would be one. Uh, if you offered the salaries that some of these European clubs are offering, I think certainly that would uh, entice a lot of the top players from the European leagues to reconsider coming down here. That's number one. The second would be, I would say, having the international appeal. The domestic league here, which is the MLS, of course, is very well known here. And in, let's say, in Latin America or perhaps Central America. But outside of that, on the European or the Asian or in the African market, no one's really paying attention to that. And so, how do you get that attention? I mean, we do those international friendlies, but they don't really. Those are just exhibitions. That they don't help. How could the MLS garner a little bit more respectability or at least more visibility internationally? Well, I always believe that the number one thing that you have to do is that you have to start locally, like and grow globally, like any other business. And so, they have done a great job of focusing on the needs of the domestic market. I, however, think that the biggest problem with U.S. soccer as a whole, not just within MLS, is the attraction and the development of the next LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irvings, the domestic league or the indigenous style of, of soccer play here in the United States. That's been, in my opinion, the number one thing. And in order to do that, you have to really create an attraction towards the urban youth and right now that is just not much of an attraction it's improving but there's still a long way to go what, what so about atlanta i know atlanta has uh, uh crossed over into having a i mean just a huge fan base seemingly to me out of nowhere i mean you're in the deep south and there's a lot of african-american fans uh, that are supporting the Atlanta team. What are they doing right in Atlanta? And, and are there more African-American fans coming on board to watch the, uh, any soccer, I mean, MLS or any other? What do you, what's your take on that? I think the, the success of Atlanta is, is a case study that should be studied for, for all of the sports, not just within uh, the U.S. or in MLS. What they've been able to do is essentially uh, create a very local uh, market or a local attraction by engaging within their fan base, by having concerts and grassroots types of events. I hear their tailgate is one of the best in all of uh, sports. Their fan base is just rabid fans that come out and with excitement. And as you rightly stated, probably the most diverse fan base that includes a huge amount of African-American uh, fan base coming out of the deep South, which a lot of people don't think uh, was ever a possibility. And so Atlanta has figured it out. I also think that having an, an owner in the form of Arthur Blanche, who uh, is also the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, also has a lot to do with that. We're talking about somebody who's been in the sports 
ownership business for quite some time. And so he very well is very uh, much in tune in with the fan base there and how to attract that local market. The question now is that how can that be re replicated across the various cities, all these 27 cities that now the MLS has entered into in terms of the soccer market? And so that, that's a challenge going forward. I have to ask you about the Houston MLS team, the Dynamo. What's your take on them? How are they going to fare this year? Uh, I mean, obviously you hear, uh, let me, and again, I don't watch a lot of it, but you hear Portland and you hear, uh, I guess, Seattle, the Sounders. You hear a couple of teams that are supposed to be really, really good. How good are the, uh, the Houston Dynamo? So, uh, Devin, it's interesting that you asked that because I've been following the Dynamo for quite some time, and they have been going through a bit of, growing pains, if you will, within the last three, four, five seasons. They were the perennial uh, champions, if you will, or challengers for the championship uh, when the MLS really took off in terms of their expansion when, when it came out as an expansion team. I think they won two out of the first three seasons that they entered. They actually won the MLS Cup uh, or the MLS Domestic League. But currently, there is a bit of struggle. And I think that has to do with a couple of things. One is attracting and keeping uh, the high uh, or the top tier uh, players. Um, I also think that the style of play uh, has been a little challenging at times in terms of the defense. And so, yeah, it has some, it has some challenges. I don't want to uh, speak too negatively about the Dynamo uh, because I do know some of the ownership and uh, I'm in close contact with the, uh, in terms of colleagues and various projects in, in the community. And so if I had to critique, I would say that I think tapping into more of the international market might be a better fit as opposed to the current crop of players. Now, having said that, the Dynamo have one of the best youth systems out there in terms of the youth development. They've been able to attract some of the local talents like uh, Memo Rodriguez, who is a youth player. In fact, he played with my kids in terms of his uh, youth sports or uh, youth soccer. And he made it all the way from the Dynamo Academy into the Dynamo first team. And so there's a lot of success story uh, to be had or to be told with the Dynamo as they're developing their youth or the academy system into first team uh, player type. And so I think that is one of the huge success that the Dynamo have had. And that needs to be, uh, they need to be commended for. And finally, I want to ask, since you, the last time we had a chance to speak, you've been a mover and shaker in the world of soccer. Uh, what's new with you on that front and how, uh, how are you involved with the game? Because, again, I know you've done a lot with the Ghanaian uh, in national team. Uh, what's uh, new with you? Yes, uh, Devin, as we, as we were talking offline, as I was sharing with you, I'm currently a registered uh, player intermediary, which means that essentially I, I, I'm a qualified player agent, uh, qualified to represent athletes that are moving from club to club that are looking for professional contracts uh, to enter into the, uh, the professional soccer realm. And so that is one, um, one of the things that I'm currently working on. The second thing is that I continuously... You know, I have a consulting business, as I told you about Nassari Athletics, which has been around for about 15 years now. And we have done a lot of uh, consulting and marketing for the various uh, national teams. There are some uh, international games that we are going to be playing, some um, 
small but hopefully significant roles in in the in the future as the uh, pandemic kind of unfolds and players, excuse me, uh, fans are allowed back into the stadium. And in addition to that, here in the local Houston community, I sit on a soccer board, if you will, which consists of, as I mentioned earlier, some of the the biggest names in the soccer community here in Houston, including the current committee that is trying to put together a bid for the 2026 uh, World Cup to be held here uh, in Houston as one of the host cities. Uh, so 2026, just to talk very quickly about that, U.S., Mexico, and Canada have won the bid to host the 2026 World Cup, and Houston is bidding to be one of the host cities. And so I sit on a board, uh, or on a committee rather, with some of the gentlemen uh, that are actually leading the efforts to bring the 2026 World Cup to Houston. That'd be fantastic. Well, how can folks reach out to you on social media if they want to say hi or they have some soccer questions or, or their nephew is a up-and-coming soccer player? How can folks reach out and get in touch with you? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I would say I am on Twitter and a little bit on IG, uh, but I, to be frank with you, I'm not the greatest at uh, social media interaction. However, if you uh, want to get in contact with me, on Twitter, it's uh, A-N-A-N underscore Asari. And then on my IG, it's uh, Prof, which is short for Professor, P-R-O-F underscore A-S-A-R-E on IG. So that's uh, Prof underscore Asari and, uh, on IG. And any other way, if you want folks to reach out to you for any of your endeavors, like I said, if they have a, a prospect or a question, uh, any other way you'd like to, any direction you'd like to send them in getting in contact with you? Sure. I can be reached on my uh, on my mobile, uh, if that's okay with you. That's fine. And uh, Sure. I can be reached at 832-566-4026. Hey, man, we certainly appreciate the time. And I promise you, we, we will visit with you more frequently as again, uh, you know, you, you I want to try to see where this thing is going and where an African-American audience can fit into that and where the American audience can fit into that for that matter and uh, see if the, the sport can expand here in Houston and, and really nationally. Just see where this thing goes. So we certainly appreciate the insight uh, and the information and we look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Thank you so much, Devin. And before I go, I want to give a quick shout out to the Houston soccer community especially to the Houston Black Stars, which is my local team of um, African players from the Ghanaian, Nigerian, Sierra Leone, Liberian, Guinea, um, all over. We have players that are made up of this team, and we're just a very fascinating group. We play every Saturday on Marion, uh, out in Marion Park on the southwest side of town. And so if you ever want to see some uh, local Houston soccer being played, come out Saturday mornings between 8.30 and 11.30 at Marion Park, and you'll see the Houston Soccer Club out there thank hey, you guys hey thanks so much and man that's something to look forward to we'll talk to you soon thank you Devin. to have your comments heard call 832-941-6614 want to thank nana asari for joining us it won't be the last time we're going to talk more soccer and so if you know some soccer fans just tell me they can tune in and they'll hear some legit soccer talk coming up in future episodes. But right now, it's time for the Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. 
with no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you. You big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player team entity, someone in or around the world of sports we deem to be the big dummy of the episode. Well, this time we go to some horse racing. <laughs> That's rare that we talk about it. Uh, I think it's come up a couple times before, usually around something bad happening with the horses. But this time, something else bad happened with the horses. Of course, we've already had the first leg of the Triple Crown, the Kentucky Derby. So everybody had their their uh, mint juleps and the big hats and all of that just sort of a throwback to the Deep South. And the imagery is what it is. But nonetheless, hey, I I'm, I'm won't get into that. What I will get into is Medina Spirit. That horse won this underdog story that sold for $1,000 at one point. Won the Kentucky Derby out of virtually nowhere. Not quite nowhere, but it was not favored to win. But that horse is trained by Bob Baffert. Now, Bob Baffert is a habitual line stepper. <laughs> He's frequently, uh, now again, this is from reports and things that you hear and you pick up and, and interviews and all that stuff, that he is he's right there on the line. And sometimes he steps over the line and violates or has violated the rules with banned substances. Such was the case with Medina Spirit. After the celebration, and boy, they were counting their money for the stud fees and all of that, the millions of dollars that were going to come in on that. But before we could get to all of that, Medina Spirit tested positive for a banned substance. Bob Baffert said, no, there's no way. We didn't do that. We don't even use the stuff. What are you talking about? That was his initial response. And then he goes on Fox News. Fox News. Fox, not Fox Sports. Fox News. And says, well, this big brouhaha, you know, all the, with everything that's going on, it, it's sort of what's happening in the country these days. It's, it's, it's a part of cancel culture. Now, again, I'm paraphrasing really poorly, but that's what he said, essentially, that he blamed it on cancel culture. You cannot blame cancel culture for your cheating ass. You're out of line, apparently. Now, we're still waiting for the other sample. So since he, he initially came out and said, we didn't even use it. Now he says, oh, this is an external ointment, blah, 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 da, 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 da. And he'll have to deal with that in the court of public opinion and also in the court of horse racing, however that goes. But the horse will be allowed to run in the Preakness this weekend. But Bob Baffert, for you to sit there, and let me get on the cancel culture thing real quick while I have a chance. Cancel culture is not this this exercise and let's, you know, let's be mean girls and punish these people. No, it, to me, what it means is you said something foul, you represent something foul, I don't rock with you anymore, and I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to support you financially. I don't want to give you energy in my life. I think really what it's become is a word like saying, oh, they're just using the race card to invalidate somebody's criticism of your behavior. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card for foul-acting folks. That's what it is. That's what they try to say. Oh, no, it's not me. Oh, you, you're mad at me because I said something racist or misogynist or something offensive to the LBGTQ community? No, it's not. And don't worry about what I said. Just don't cancel me. Keep giving me money. Keep giving me airtime. Keep giving me energy despite the fact that I said some foul <laughs> No, that's not how it goes. But you want to use this as a get-out-of-jail-free card, and it ain't working. And it's not working for Bob Baffert, at least until this second sample is tested. But Bob Baffert, for you to blame your cheating on cancel culture, 
that makes you nothing more or less than a big dummy. You big dummy. <laughs> <laughs> The man went on Fox News and said it was cancel culture. That's why the horse failed the drug test. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? We are in some bizarro times. People are doing some really, really, really bizarre stuff these days, but we don't have time. We're about to wrap this thing up. But before I let go, before I let go, before I let go, I want to thank Eddie Robinson. I want to thank Nana Asari for the conversations. Also, want to thank Terry Donald. Lifted is the song, and you can find it anywhere you get your music. Terry Donald, T E R R I E. Donald is the last name. Check her out and definitely check out the music. If you have music, again, hit us up. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. Also, go to wadeswordproductions.com and check out any past episodes and subscribe to the email list. In addition to that, Libera Pay. I didn't even mention Libera Pay. You can make a contribution to the podcast by going to Libera Pay and looking for Sports Talk with Devin Wade and make a contribution to the podcast. Also, call the sports line 832-941-6614. And as always, remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.
than me me mm-hmm.